All right, I am Brett Creekmore. I have been coming here since like 98, I think. Uh, it's a great honor to be speaking here. Uh, but uh, Susan asked me to speak on death, so that is what we're going to talk about. Uh, specifically, my title is Death is Not Failure. So I wanted to start out with in Mark 4:24. This is in the New Living. It says, "Pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you will be given, and you will receive even more." So let's dial in tonight. Holy Spirit's got something for us, and uh, I believe this will uh, break some, yeah, bring peace, break off some shame, maybe that's been there and equipped for future uh, loss. So I wanted to get three things out of the way. I'm speaking of physical death and uh, this death of this mortal body. I'm specifically speaking to and of and about Christians and even more specifically in the household of faith because uh, I feel like sometimes, well, specifically in the household of faith, we'll put it that uh, and then three, I understand that we are human, and we do have emotions, and we have feelings, and we are attached to people that we've been around for years. Yeah. Yes. That's good. So I wanted to start out in uh, giving some examples of death in the Bible. In John twenty-one nineteen, Jesus speaking to Peter, you don't have to turn to all these, I'm going to go through quite a few, but... Um, it says that in speaking to Peter, that it's gonna, he's going to glorify God in death. And then you look in 2 Peter 1, 13 through 14, and Peter knows, he sees that his time is close. And, uh, and I, I can show you even more, and, and Moses in Deuteronomy 31, 14 it says very clearly, let me, let me look that up real quick. Deuteronomy 31, 14. Uh, all of my scriptures are going to be out of the New King James, just so you know. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold the days approach when you must die. Call Joshua and present yourself in the tab tabernacle of meeting, that I may inaugurate him. So Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves in the tabernacle, tabernacle of meeting. But it said it very clearly. God told Moses, "Your time's coming." You're, it's. No, I don't mean that in a negative way. Uh, I hope you don't take it that way. But so these deaths, um, Peter's death, uh, Moses' death. That that's not a failure. They didn't fail when they died. And I wanted you to see in First uh, Kings two. This is. Uh, it's going to be about David. First, uh, First Kings 2, uh, verses 1 and 2. And uh, I did something at camp that I guess I'm going to continue, but when you get to where you're going, if you just say, praise God. Amen. So 1 Kings 2, verse 1 says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. 
But notice he says, I go the way of all the earth. Everything in this earth is, is dying. Now, it wasn't made that way originally. We, we know that here. Um, but as it is now, unless the Lord comes, we're all, all of us here are going to die. All the trees are going to die. It just as time goes on, that's the way of all the earth, uh, the way it is now. Paul, in 2 Timothy 4, uh, 6 through 8, uh, he knew his time was approaching. He'd been pouring out as an offering. Um, and then the master himself, Jesus, uh, in Mark 14, 36, well, there's several examples. I mean, how many times does Jesus foretell what's going to happen to him? But in Mark 14, 36, where he's praying in the, in the garden, he says, uh, and, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. So now the cup he's trying to get taken away from him, you know, he's going to do God's will. But that cup he's talking about is the cross. So if we look at Hebrews 12, uh, 2? Yeah, Hebrews 12, 2, yes. I wanted y'all to see this right here. I'm sorry, I do scripture. Uh, it was mentioned at the beginning, I'm a student of the word, and I, I really enjoy that title. But, uh, so there's going to be quite a few scriptures here. So. <clears throat> so Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Now nobody would call that his death a failure. That's right. So I, well, let me go here first. Despising the shame. Well, what shame? Well, the shame of the cross, the shame of being up there and, and people are talking down to you and, and spitting on you and all this stuff. The shame of, of death. The son of God, the son of man, as he called himself, dying. So let us, too, despise the shame of death. We, we, there's nothing for a Christian to, to fear about death. Um, <clears throat> so the Lord told me this in preparation uh, when I was preparing for this, but stop or don't look down on people that die or families that have loved ones die. And again, I'm specifically talking about in the church. Um, and say to that person, I mean, obviously they're not there, but say to yourself or to someone else, I guess they weren't in faith. That's, uh, to me, that's not the time. That's not the time for that. Uh, but now, I don't want us to be fools, though. We can learn lessons. Uh, we can absolutely learn lessons. There's deaths in the Bible that we can learn from. Uh, the one I listed three here. Uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness. So some of them were speaking and saying, 
we're going to die here in the wilderness. So what, the lesson we can learn from that is maybe let's align our words and our thoughts with God's words and his thoughts. Uh, they also, in the wilderness, were dying to serpents. But if they would just look at the serpent on the pole, then they wouldn't die. So they're not looking to that serpent on the pole led them to death. So the lesson we could learn to that is knowing that the serpent on the pole is a type of Jesus, we could learn let's look unto Jesus, specifically in, in trials and tribulations. Let's look unto him. Uh, Pharaoh's army, this one, this one got me. I uh, hope it affects you all the way it got me. But Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea, it was not God's word to them to cross the sea on dry land. That word was to Israel. They hardened their hearts and they weren't listening, but that was Israel's word. Uh, Stephen's death in Acts 7. <clears throat> to me, the, the lesson I take from Stephen's death the gospel of the kingdom of God is more important than my life. That's the lesson that I take from Stephen's death. And uh, if you look in Matthew 10.33, it says, Whoever den denies me before men, I will deny before my father. And that's something to consider. Look into your heart and think about that. But to me, the, the gospel is more important than my life. <clears throat> Which is easy to say. I'll, I'll say that up front. It's easy to say that. A little bit harder to actually live that. Now maybe the person, uh, going back to if you hypothetically knew someone that died. Now maybe that person you knew that died did miss God in some way or another. Uh, or maybe wasn't living right. But, but do this for me. And, and yourself. Check yourself and see when you say, I guess they weren't in faith, and see if you're not just gossiping about that person. Let's go to Hebrews 12.2. I think I already sent you all there, but uh, I meant to tell you to stay there. It would have been way easier if I just said, hold your place, but I did not. So, uh, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, endured death, despising the shame. Now God wants to, tonight, get rid of some shame. I don't even know who, maybe a lot of people, of death. Whether it's a close loved one or maybe something that you feel like you could have done or, or maybe something you did do. I've got some definitions here. Shame, uh, I looked up, and this is a, a sh I shortened the definition. It's a feeling of humiliation. Regret is to be sad or upset, or you might say shame, especially for not doing something. Guilt is to sad or upset, again, shame, 
especially for something you did. So regret, something you, you could have done, but you didn't, or maybe you just are looking back in time and you think to yourself, oh, I wish I would have done that. Yeah. And really, there's, you can't change that. That's already in the past. And the guilt part, that could even be maybe there was an accident and somebody died in that accident. God's, we're going to get rid of that. And I know I'm not much of a preacher myself, but I'm more of a teacher. But just accept what God's got for you. And uh, just believe with me. He's going to break some chains. <clears throat> so in First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.13. I'm not expecting you all, I've, again, to turn to all these. I've got it a lot. But just jot them down in your notes and uh, study them later. And always go above and below what I say. And, and check me out. Don't just take my word for it. Philippians 3.13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So now this doesn't sound like a God to me that wants us held down and shackled for something that we either didn't do or something we did do, which is whatever. You're feeling shame. That's not what God's got for you. <clears throat> and even uh, sadness, uh, mourning, it, it shouldn't go on forever. And, and not even an extended period of time. Psalms 147 verse 3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So now if we can't get over, uh, now, again, I understand we're people. we got emotions. But at some point, we we got to get past death. And specifically, you know, if you died, then, well, I'm going to get to that. But I'm specifically talking right now about a death of a loved one. Or someone you cared about a lot. Um, but to, to stay in that, in that sadness, in that mourning, is to act like he does not heal the broken heart. So he, either he does heal the broken hearted or he doesn't. So which, which one are we going with? I'm going with he heals the broken hearted. In Psalm 23, verse 5, this one's on, been on me strong but God has prepared a table for us in front of our enemies in the very presence of our enemies now what are the enemies we know Satan is an enemy we we got that but notice it's plural prepared a table for us in front of our enemies in the very presence of our enemies now this shame regret guilt they're all enemies. 
death is an enemy. First Corinthians fifteen twenty six tells us that that's the last enemy that will be destroyed, which tells us that death is an enemy. Shame, regret, guilt, all of these are enemies. So let's let's stop. Okay, you're at this, you're at a place, God's prepared a table before you in the very presence of your enemies. Let's, let's stop looking at the enemy and let's start looking at God and this table he's prepared for us. And uh, that, that table is going to have godly things on it. It's not an empty table that he prepared for you. It's going to have peace, joy, strength. <clears throat> That's the table he's prepared for us. Second Corinthians 7.10 uh, tells us that, well, the main point I want to get to is that for godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. Now, this is the point. But the sorrow of the world produces death. It's also translated in other uh, translations as mourning. The mourning of, of the world produces death. That's, that's not for us. Now, in talking about death, it's, we also have to realize that we are mortal and that someday we're going to die. We're going to pass on. Now, again, I'm talking about physical death. I'm not into spiritual death and all that. I mean life and all that. I'm just talking about your body. Physical death. That's what I'm t- talking about. So, in 2 Timothy 1, verse 10, he tells us that, it says, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But now notice it says, who has abolished death. I find that interesting. Like Even though we still, we're in this world, we're still going to die. But it very clearly says he, he already has. He has abolished death. And in Revelations 1.18, we see he has the keys to death and the grave. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to take you through some more scriptures. That's what's all it's going to be tonight. So this is going to be scripture on scripture. But uh, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. I love Colossians. probably one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If then you were raised with Christ. Now, most of the people in this room, I, I know, I know your faces, are born again, Right? So then, if you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died, and your life is hidden with Christ. Romans 8.10 says, And if Christ is in you, The body is dead because of sin, 
but the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Galatians 2.20, that was Romans 8.10. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. We died and our lives are in him. There's no reason to fear uh, after this life from a, a, a what if or a, a fear of the unknown perspective. We are to be with him. And we may not know what all his absolute holiness will be like, but we do know that we are his children and that he loves us. I'm going to go to it later, but Matthew uh, 7, 9 through 11. Yeah, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. That is an, an amazing scripture, which I'm going to, like I said, go to later. Let's, um, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, if you would. Second Corinthians 5. Verse 1, for we believe that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, I read that wrong on purpose to hopefully prick some of y'all's ears, but it does not say, for we believe. It says, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now that's talking about your glorified bodies. It's talking about your earthly house is this body right here. And then the house not made with hands is your glorified bodies. Now uh, skip down to verses 6, or verse 6. So we are always confident, knowing, there's that word again, knowing, whoop. Lost my place. Knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Let's turn back to 1 Corinthians, just a few pages back. Chapter 6. And we'll be reading uh, 13 through 20. Now these people at Corinth, they're, they're believing a little bit wrong here. They're new Christians. And they're saying, foods for the stomach and stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. And that just means that this is all going away. This, this body's not going to be here. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Now we're talking about fear of death. We're talking about not fearing death, I mean to say. And uh, now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God, God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot 
is one body with her. For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And I read all that to, to point out that this body, if you're a Christian, this body is not yours. And I mean, when I'm pointing at me, I mean your body is not your own. Your body is God's. And uh, it, even, it even points out that to sleep with a, har- to sleep with a harlot is, uh, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? So when you take your body and you're doing sexual things that, you sh- that should not be done, specifically outside of marriage, you know, we all know what we're talking about here. That is God's body that you're doing that with. That's not your body. It was bought with a price. <clears throat> God has paid the cost for our bodies. If we laid them down in front of God... Wait, I missed something. Uh, Turn to Romans 12. I suppose you don't have to turn there. You can just, I'll just read it here in a second. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now I want us to see here that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, holy acceptable to God. But I want to zero in on that you present your bodies to God. Now when, when uh, Avery, did you ever win an award in track or in basketball or something? Football. Okay. See? All right. Now, when, when someone gave you that award, when they presented you with an award, did they keep the award or did you keep it? Yeah. So when you present your body to God, you, you gave that to him. You don't keep it. That's his. So now we can get to this. God has paid the cost for our bodies. If we laid them down in front of God... Let us not be so attached to them. Come to realize that God is real. Heaven is real. See, sometimes I... I, Now again, this is is all easy to say, but we have to practice these things. But if, if you're maybe up in age and you're worried about dying... I'm talking about an exorbitant, like you're, you're, you're fearing it. Then maybe you're not seeing how real, or maybe it's the fear of the unknown for you. You're not seeing how real God is. You can see this body, and so you're afraid to lose that because you can touch it and feel it. And 
of course you have your family and stuff you're attached to, but how real is God in heaven to you? <clears throat> it's not like our bodies are real and God is fake. Do we believe, do we believe this or not? Yes. All right, if we believe this, God's real. God, and it sh he should be so real to you that there should be no doubt of like, oh, you know, if I die, is there just going to be a, a, a blackness? should be no doubt. <clears throat> Revelations 12, 11. This is often quoted, but I was talking with John, and sometimes this last part gets forgotten. Revelations 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now we hear that a lot. Let's not forget this last part. And they did not love their lives to the death. Let's not love our bodies more than we love God. And I'm going to take it a step further and include your spouses, since it says the two become one flesh. We're not to love our spouses above God. God's above your spouse. Now, you should agree. Don't get me wrong. You know, don't read into what I'm saying there. But God is above everything. <clears throat> and this fear, it, it doesn't belong anyway. And 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love casts out fear. And that fear involves torment. In 2 Timothy 1.7, we see that God didn't even, he didn't give us a spirit of fear. He doesn't want us to worry ourselves to death. And what I mean is all the way through your life, I mean, maybe not from your life, but, you know, from you getting to a certain age and now you're starting to think about death and this and that. <clears throat> from that time on, he doesn't want you worrying your life away. Now, while I'm talking about this not fearing death, I also want to point out that we're not seeking death. Right. So there's a, there's a balance there. Uh, Philippians 1.21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Well, that doesn't mean that if, if, if to die is gain, you didn't lose something. You gained something. And a few verses later in 24, it says, Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you. And he's, this is where he's going back and forth. He does, he's not sure which one he's going to choose, you know, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He's hard-pressed between the two. But even though this decision weighed on him, uh, verses 24 through 26 tell us his, in, his intention was to stay on the earth. 2 Corinthians 5.4, to me, puts it about as plain that it can be put. Now, we were in 2 Corinthians 5 earlier, but I didn't read this verse. For we who are in this tent groan, 
being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Uh, try to clear some things up. Uh, for we who are in this tent, the tent, your body, not because we want to be unclothed, that would be death, but further clothed, or that unclothed would be to be away from the body, which would still be death. I'm, again, talking about physical death only. But further clothed. Now that, if you look above and below, is talking about our glorified bodies. So now let's focus in here. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that death may be swallowed up by life. So he's, we're not wanting to die. We're wanting to live. But sooner or later, we are going to die. Now, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. This is, I mentioned this earlier. Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Well, actually, let's go up to verse 7. And when you're there, say, praise God. Praise God. Amen. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? Well, the answer is, of course not. Of course not. Your son asks for bread, you give him bread. It says, if you then being evil, that just means we're, we're mankind, we're, we're not, we're, we're sinful man. Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask, or sorry, give good things to those who ask him? Now, it doesn't, you know, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much less will your Father who is in heaven give good things? No, it says how much more. And you, you could preach a lot of things off this verse. Healing. I mean, what parent wants their kid to be sick? Nobody. Of course not death, but for sure. So how much more then does God give good things to those who ask him? Notice, to those who ask him. But the main point I, I wanted to get at is that God is a good God. I mean, how many times in the Old Testament does it say, for the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever? And some translations say his uh, unfailing love endures forever. But it's like people just walk over that first part. They forget the very first phrase was, for the Lord is good. He is good. You turn to James 5 with me. And we'll be in verse 13. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. James 5, verse 13. Now this is uh, James talking to Christians now. He's not talking to unbelievers here. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. 
and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now, in talking about all this death, I wanted to get to that we are to pray, believe, speak, life. That's what we're to do. And we don't, we don't cling to our life to the point where we're putting our bodies above God. Specifically in the sense of if he has let you know it's your time and you're just hanging on for a love of your kids or something like that. But we are to pray, believe, and speak for life. In all these examples... They're praying for life. Uh, they're praying for health, but by extension, that's, that's life. Right. And when I say life, I, let me clarify. I mean not death. I mean increase health, life itself. I'm talking about all of that. That's what I mean by speak life. So there, the solution there that James gives us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit is to pray to have the elders pray, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. And verse 16 says, pray for each other. And then if you're cheerful, sing psalms. Um, now, I wanted to mainly zero in or dial in on praying for someone else for, for life. Because we've already established that like uh, how God told Moses it was his, his time or it was coming soon. So when we pray for someone else, we pray for life, no matter what, unless the Spirit said otherwise. Maybe you got a word of knowledge or something, and, and maybe that person already got word from the Lord to them that it's their time. And now you're praying for life, and they've already, God's already spoke to them, so... <clears throat> but but barring that, you're speaking life. You're praying for life. But no matter how it turns out, we don't blame God. That's right. Thank you. We are on God's side of, of the discussion of, of what happened here. <clears throat> uh, now, a great example of that is in 2 Samuel 12, which uh, we will... Spend some time in Second Samuel twelve sixteen through twenty three. Praise God. Praise God. All right, Second Samuel twelve sixteen, and again, read above and below. Always do that. But this is where let me set some background. I guess this is where David got with Bathsheba. She got her pregnant. And then had her husband killed. Yeah. And after that, the prophet um, Nathan, I think it was Nathan, yeah. Yeah. comes and speaks to David. <clears throat> and now this is, and then David repented. And this is after that. Uh, the child's already been born. But now it says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to him to raise him up from the ground. But he would not, nor did he eat food with them. 
Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Indeed, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he would not heed our voice. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may do some harm. When David saw that his servants were whispering, David perceived that the child was dead. Therefore, David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then he said, or sorry, then his servant said to him, What is this that you have done? You fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. So now what I want us to see is that while the child was alive, David did everything he knew to do for the life of that child. I mean, he was fasting. You know, he wouldn't get up off the ground, wouldn't wash himself. He wasn't eating. But after he learned the child died, he got up, he cleaned up, and he worshiped in the house of the Lord. And then he ate after that. But he, he didn't blame God for it. He didn't get up off the ground and they, like they were talking that he might do some harm. He didn't get up and say, why has God done this thing and throw his arms up and, and all this <clears throat> uh, or, or curse God? He worshiped God. Now, not because the child died, but that's what, that's what we're to do. Now, now again, we're human and uh, we're not stoics. We have emo- emotions. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 4, says, A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. So there is a time to mourn. That's, that's scriptural. There is a time to mourn. And it would be weird if you didn't, honestly, to me. But, and I'm not going to put... You know, uh, you know, you can only mourn for 30 days now. Now, I'm not going to put like an X amount of days on there. But you can look at 2 Corinthians 7.10, which we've already been to. Worldly sorrow produces death. You can look at Deuteronomy 14, verse 1. And uh, you don't have to turn there. It says, you are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves, nor shave the front of your head for the dead. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, or that is, to have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We're not to mourn as the world mourns. That's not for us. As, as people with no hope. And we know that 
they've gained on us. And again, I said at the beginning, I'm talking about believers. They've gained on you. They're, they get to the Lord quicker. Now, it cannot be months and months and years and years on end, mourning. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to put a time limit on it, but you cannot go that long. That's not, that's not for us. You're not to cut yourself. That's not for you. Worldly sorrow produces death. You, you shouldn't kill yourself over a loved one dying. That's you saying, and this is... This might sound harsh, but that's you saying that that person is more important than God. Man, I, I hope I've done better than what I feel like I've done. But uh, I want to give you guys a, a Kenneth Hagin quote that I, I gave the Timothy Project. But he said, and he was much older than me, so it's from an older man. Don't ever feel sorry for Christians who die, young, old, or middle-aged. They would not come back if they could. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Of course, we grieve and mourn. But we understand, like I said a minute ago, that they've gained to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. They've gained on us. I pointed that out earlier. To die is gain. That doesn't mean that you lost something. You, apparently you gained something yeah. to leave this physical body. So let's not fear death. There's no need to as a Christian. But now we, uh, like I've said a few times through here, we have to put these into actual practice. It's easy to say that I put the gospel above my own life. But the real test would be if that ever you know, came to fruition, would I really do that? And I believe that I would. That would be where the rubber meets the road. Any shame that you felt, um, maybe from even as long as 50 years ago, is if, if you receive this now, it's gone. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That, that's not for you. Whether you did something or not. Now if you did um, something. Uh, let's say like uh, manslaughter or something like that. Now you've got a debt to society to pay. Right. I, I don't know the amount or whatever. But that's its own thing. To God you're free. He, he loves on you. He has and will forgive you. So I want to end with this. <clears throat> Don't fear death, but pray for life in all areas and in all things. Praise the Lord. And that.